both easily get a good look at it. Shots blocked by Shea Gilgis Alexander. Rookie against rookie. Patrick Beverly joins us on SportsCenter. He plays on the best team in L.A. Great five seconds. Zippers bring it in. Five seconds to go. Tie game. Seat belts are fastened. Lou Williams for the win. Bingo! Oh, my goodness. Hey guys, welcome back to the Clippers Pulse Podcast. I'm Adam, and I'm joined today with a special guest, Nikki K. Hello, Adam. Welcome, welcome. So, Nikki, you work for Spectrum LA, is that correct? That's right. I um, am a reporter, and I cover all sorts of teams in the greater Los Angeles area, and I've also got a Clippers podcast, relatively new on the Clippers beat here, but... Um, always a thrill to be covering the NBA. Uh, my background is, is uh, fleshed out more in Oklahoma City. I spent the last three seasons covering the Thunder in the Western Conference. So pretty familiar with the landscape of the Western Conference here. Oh, awesome. So is this your first year covering the Clippers? Yes, yes. And uh, relatively new, especially since the uh, post-All-Star break run. But that doesn't mean I haven't been noticing what the team's been accomplishing and overachieving in that sense. Yeah, it's been, it must be a great season to come on as a Clippers coverage. Exactly. <laughs> so with the young guys, moving on, looking ahead to the playoffs, obviously we've got SGA and we've got mm-hmm. Shamit, both playing really well all year. Shai is averaging 26.5 minutes a game. And then you've got Shamit at 27.7 minutes a game, both putting up really good numbers in that, in that time period. Uh, How do you think moving into the postseason, that's going to affect their roles? Yeah, I think the exciting thing regardless for the Clippers is that this postseason run, I mean, even if they're faced with the daunting Warriors in the first round, this is going to be a really great way way for these two promising rookies to get some postseason experience without a ton of pressure in terms of an all-stars ticking timeline, right? Um, So I do see not only them their experience being valuable i think their minutes will be pumped up a little bit especially because they are two of the top six names on the roster and i'm anticipating doc goes a a little bit tighter with his roster rotation just trotting out 11 guys in the postseason is a little bit atypical so um that that's going to mean more increased minutes um it's going to be interesting to see how shay's three point uh, shooting sustains in a postseason contest where the game kind of slows down. But I'm really excited to see how his decision making sustains and how his confidence holds up because we've seen, you know, kind of with rookie waves, like it's a hard thing to uh, keep that confidence at an all time high throughout the course of 82 games. So hopefully um, it's tested and proven in the postseason. Yeah, and they've obviously got Duck, who's going to be guiding them. He's a steady hand, been there, done it all before. Mm-hmm. Uh, also as well, I'm surrounded by a lot of Celtics fans. So the similarities I've been trying to put across to those at the moment is how the Celtics had their two rookies lead a playoff charge last year due to the injuries that that team faced. So looking where you've got Shy and Shamit, and then you've got um, Haral as well. These are like all pretty young guys, hungry. They're full of energy. Can, uh, all three of them can score, they can run the floor. I think they're going to be a problem for whoever they match up with. I, I completely agree with you. And that's so great that you pulled upon that comparison because I kind of see it in the same context where the 
some, I, I always get this phrase, phrase wrong. I think it's like the sum of the parts is greater than the whole or the, the something along, you know what I'm saying? Where <laughs> yeah, it's just, the, yeah, exactly. Right. You know, but, but it, you're right. It's talking about a team of a bunch of pieces that somehow come together and quote unquote overachieves, even though they've been doing that all season long and, and credit to doc for unlocking that success. But yes, especially with Zubats too, as well, being a young player and being put in these roles. Um, I think that this Clippers matchup for any, no, no team in the Western conference is looking forward to facing the Clippers in the first round while they may be a, uh, you know, n- not, not a, uh, or, not an easy out. This Clippers roster is going to give any team they play night in, night out a tough run um, because they truly go into every game believing they can win, every half believing they can win. And when when you have that sort of fight, that kind of makes it miserable for any opponent. It does. And obviously, as you mentioned, with the confidence as well, um, there was an article put out on The Athletic by Jovan Buha. Uh, where he actually has Shea quoted as saying he feels like he's playing the best basketball of the year at the moment. And then I've also been looking at Zubak since he came over. His numbers are slightly up from when he was in LA, but they're more consistent as well. So he's averaging 8.7 points, 6.1 rebounds and 1.1 assists on 19.8 minutes. Do you see him having an increased presence during the playoff run, depending on the type of matchups that we come across? So it's interesting because if the Clippers are to face... Denver as in the two seven matchup where they've got two bigs. I think zoo and Harold will have more importance in the rotation, but if it's a golden state matchup, I think zoo might, even though he's done pretty well against DeMarcus cousins, I think just by sheer, the sheer concept of you want your six best players to be playing the most minutes um, in a playoff series, I think Harold's minutes will go up and that might come at the expense of Zubat's minutes going down. Um, right now, I think he's playing about 20 minutes a game. Harold, uh, you'll probably want to bump that up and then Zoo could be in the high teens, so to speak. So, um, But it it is really cool, like you said, to see how his confidence in his contribution and what he can bring to a game has really stepped up since he's switched locker rooms here in Los Angeles. Um, I'm really happy for him uh, being with a franchise that believes in him and wants to grow him under the legs of a coach like Doc Rivers. Because I can tell you this, the Clippers feel like they basically stole him from the Lakers. Like, that was robbery. Yeah, it was daylight robbery. Uh, (laughs) It really was. Looking if we do get the... uh the Warriors in the next round, in the first round. Mm-hmm. Obviously, we played them a few days ago. Uh, I've watched that film probably two or three times now. I like the way that they went small to start. They had uh, they had SGA, Shamit, and Williams. Uh, yeah. And obviously, they went smaller, and they they were having quite good success for the first half of the game. It went it got pulled away a little bit in the third and the fourth. Do you see that being a potential starting lineup against the, the Warriors? Yes, I think any time you can go small and have more shooting on the floor against the likes of the prolific offense of the Golden State Warriors, that's going to be to your advantage. And correct me if I'm wrong, uh, Beverly didn't play that game, right? Yeah, he got a DMP. Yeah, yeah. And so when you when you add him to the floor, 
um, in, in the defense he brings and hopefully being able to disrupt a little bit of what the Warriors look to accomplish on offense. I think that's going to point towards the Clippers, um, hopefully success. You know, we'll see if they could get one game and make it a five game series. Unfortunately, any, any opponent for the Warriors is a little bit doomed in that sense, but the good thing that the Clippers can accomplish in the postseason, if they do face the Warriors in the first round is kind of tiring Golden State out, you know, giving them a true run for their money, making them work for it. And then, you know, if Golden State advances to further rounds, um, we'll be a little bit beleaguered, you know, for whoever they face in the second and, and Western Conference Finals, it, should they even get that far. But I think a lot of people have them, you know, as a sheer lock to even win the entire thing again. Yeah, which a lot of people say makes the NBA boring. So this offseason yes. is going to be a nice welcome refresher, especially if Durant, Durant decides to walk away. Yes. So we've got the potential three teams. We've got Golden State, Denver, and Houston. They're our mm-hmm. three first-round matchups. So if we, we've spoke about Golden State now. So if we look at Denver for a moment, what would you deem as a successful or unsuccessful postseason against those guys? You know, and it, it's interesting you say that because I, I do think the Clippers by definition have had a successful season in what they've accomplished with um, first of all, b- by making the playoffs, right? Because once every, once they traded away Tobias Harris at the trade deadline, the kind of general consensus around the league was that they were sacrificing wins, trading away their star. And yet here they are, making a run into the postseason and they actually had tremendous success after the trade deadline, barring these last three losses in a row. So first of all, I think you look at their appearance in the playoffs as a successful season, regardless. Um, Denver out, out of Golden State, Denver and Houston, I think Denver's the biggest question mark because they're the most po- uh, playoff inexperienced team, right? Nobody really knows what they're truly a capable capable of accomplishing so I do think the Clippers might have a little bit of a window there and could possibly even though they went one and three against the Nuggets during the regular season um maybe maybe exploit them a little bit more when this game slows down against their their uh youth in the playoffs so to speak so maybe you see them push the Nuggets to a six game series and may and Houston I would honestly just love the drama and all the narratives that arise between the two teams with all their history and uh, storylines. Yeah, it'd be uh, no matter who we play, it's going to be a great first round. I'm very, very who would Adam, can I ask you, who would you like to see in the first round? For the potential of actually having a chance at progressing to the second, it would be Denver. Uh-huh. For the drama, it's going to be Houston. I think that it would be a really fiery uh, matchup against Houston. Yes, yes. I'm with you 100% on that. That great way to put it. Obviously, uh, looking at the stats, as you mentioned, we went one and three against Denver during the regular season. If we look across the three teams, Golden State, Denver and Houston, we actually went three and seven over the regular season and we haven't beat any of those three teams in 2019. Wow. So it's going to be an uphill battle no matter who we face. I do think Denver have overachieved quite a lot this season, similarly to what the Clippers have. So I think that'll be a really interesting first round if that's who we end up playing. But to be honest, I'm just happy to be playing um, 
playoff basketball again to get to actually watch the postseason and cheer on a team I follow all through the regular season. Adam, I, I completely agree with you. And can I ask you, how did you come to be a Clippers follower and fan? So I've got a lot of friends and family out in Los Angeles. So I've uh-huh. been traveling out there pretty much every year for about 10, 15 years. So obviously they've always been Clippers fans. So whenever I'm out there, we go and catch a couple of Clippers games. And then it's kind of just been the team I followed by default since then. And you know what? It's, it's This team's fun to root for, huh? Yeah, I love being in the stadium, being down at the Staples. And obviously I'm a tourist whenever I come, so I'm always having a great time anyway. But there's just always such a good atmosphere. Uh, no matter who you're playing, no matter if you walk out with a win or a loss, it, it does, I always leave having made like a, a friend in the stadium or getting to know somebody and just cheering the team on. I was there in October. I caught a couple uh-huh. of games when we, when we still had Boban. Uh-huh. That was just uh, me and my friends were just shouting out to Boban. We got uh, we tried to get some pictures of them guys. It's just a great time down at the Staples. And Boban's so fun, right? I think yeah, you know. Funny. I think a lot of Clippers fans still look at him very fondly because he's just such a character. He is. He is. Uh, he's a super tall guy, though. It's so funny to watch him dunk the basketball. <laughs> he's a goof. <laughs> So obviously we have overachieved this year. Mm-hmm. Some solid, great basketball. Do you think Doc has real argument for Coach of the Year? You know, I think he does. I don't think that that means he'll win it, though. I think this one is pretty much a clear-cut shot to Coach Bud and what he's done with the Milwaukee Bucks. They've got you know the top defensive rating in the league, the top three offensive rating, most wins in the NBA. He's really truly unlocked that offense and put Giannis in a position to succeed. So, but I do think you look at what Doc has masterminded with this Clippers roster uh, and a group of young talent, scrappy talent, even post Tobias Harris trade, what, what this team has accomplished, you can't deny that he definitely deserves to be in the conversation. I agree. I think with the books as well, that uh, Brooke Lopez was one of the more underrated pickups this year. I think he's mm-hmm. their system dramatically. They've improved in every as- aspect of their game as well under coach Bud. With Duck, I do think that he has got a real argument. He's had a lot of different lineups to go through since he's been at the Clippers. And then this year, he's had a little bit more solidarity apart from that one big trade. I don't see him winning it, but I think that he does deserve the recognition to be in that conversation across all different forms of media. And yes, I agree with you, Adam. And I do think actually he's getting the respect he deserves on that front. I've heard him brought up on multiple occasions as a candidate not likely to win, but definitely deserving of being mentioned. I mean, he's one of the most respected coaches in the league. He's got the second Mm -hmm. wins of all active coaches at the moment. He's got championship ring from his time in Boston. He, he's a great player as well. So he's a really good guy to have, especially for these young guys that need that guidance. What was the relief for you when you heard that he would not be uh, moving across the hallway to the Lakers locker room and coming out with the assurance that he was in it for the long haul with the Clippers? Obviously, being a Clippers fan and being around a lot of Clippers fans whenever I'm out in LA, there's a lot of animosity is probably the nicest way to pull it between Clippers and Lakers fans. Mm-hmm. I don't think it would have been good for Duck, especially, to still be in the Los Angeles area after defecting like that. Yes. Uh, so it was a big relief in terms of, obviously, we still get to root for a team led by Duck, 
But it was also a relief because he's probably the best guy for the job at the moment with the team we have and the players that need the development. And he's got that good mix of hardline and arm around the shoulder style of coaching. Exactly. That's I love the way you put that. I, I, the the hardline armor on the shoulders combo. There. He's you know. Um, I had a chance to cover one of Doc's sons, not Austin, but Spencer Rivers, in March Madness out here. He's on the UC Irvine Anteaters team, right? A very unheard of underdog type type of college basketball squad. And um, Spencer, you know, getting to chat with him about what Doc's advice to him was in March Madness. I was like, you know, Doc would be such a cool dad. I would love to have Doc as my dad. <laughs> yeah, he look even when you see him interacting with Steph Curry, which is like his son-in-law, they uh-huh. have a great relationship. They're always laughing on the court, no matter what's going on around them. He always makes time to singulate Steph during a game and catch up. He would be an awesome father figure. It'd be great to have around the house. Exactly. And that's why we're glad we've got the development of SGA and, and Landry in Doc's hands, right? Complimented by Sam Cassell, of course. It's a great, it's a great coaching. The, the whole backroom staff has just been really well put together. Uh, mm-hmm. it worries me a little bit with Jerry West at the end of the season. Obviously, we don't want him to walk. He's a great guy to have in the upstairs so that you can kind of pick his brains. He's been responsible for a lot of the big super teams. So... It is a really good setup they've got, which leads me into the free agency side of things. Mm-hmm. So obviously we've got enough room for one max cap space um, and then we can make enough room for a second by making some moves, probably have to move uh, Gallinari. But when I've been looking at, the, looking at it from a different perspective, out of all the teams with the potential to have multiple um, super max, well, max slots, there's no other team that's as stable as the Clippers are right now. Yes, I completely agree with you. Um, the Clippers have really put themselves in the position to be a very enviable destination in terms of their stability, in terms of their infrastructure. And you got to love what Balmer has done in terms of showing his support, not only as an owner who wants to win, but an owner who's invested in building this thing from the inside out and doing it the right way. And you mentioned the the name already, one of the master architects in the league, Jerry West, and how he's fleshed out the front office. I mean, they've got like over 60 different staff members, all specialized in different roles. And really, when you have that many minds contributing to the conversation, you can't go wrong with misguided decision making because you know it's a it's a very democratic process um with a lot of very very experienced um mindsets in their respective fields so uh i i agree with you i think this clippers team from multiple angles has done the perfect job of making itself a uh stable and winning franchise it's a top de- destination. If mm-hmm. I was one of these bigger name players and there's a max slot open at the Clippers and then the other choices I've got are the Lakers or the Knicks, I'd rather go to where there's stability and there's actually an infrastructure that's being in place to breed success than going somewhere just to get paid and lose regularly. We saw that happen with Carmelo when he went to the Knicks. Uh, they had a few successful seasons, but there was no championship. 
is probably one of the players that really did deserve a title but never got one because of the teams that he chose to play for during his prime. So when you look at the Clippers, I think that when we are making runs at people like Kawhi and Durant, that that should be a focal point of the sales pitch. Obviously, the weather helps. I completely agree with you. And, you know, you look at, I mean, just in Los Angeles, the Clippers are, I don't think people, I don't think players these days care so much about the Lakers lore or the Knicks lore, unless you're Kevin and you're looking to rewrite your legacy by going somewhere and, um, you know, winning it in Madison Square Garden. That's that's his prerogative. But at the end of the day, if the the Clippers are looking to reel in someone like Kawhi Leonard saying like, hey, we're a warm weather franchise. We've got an owner who cares. We've got a front office who cares and who is thoughtful. And we've got one of the best coaches in NBA history. Why wouldn't you want to come play here? Plus, look at all these exciting young pieces that we've not only successfully drafted and scouted out, but we've developed well as also the Clippers have so many arguments to be one of the top destinations to land these big names. Oh, for sure. And especially when you're talking about writing your own law as well, winning a title with the Clippers will solidify that law for you just because of the franchise and what it would mean to the fan base. Yes, absolutely. So then obviously, while we're talking about the off-season, do you feel there's any players that are a luck to come back next season? Or do you think anyone's on the table to free up that second max slot? You know, unfortunately, with the likes of the shrewd moves of Jerry West, um, I don't know if anyone could ever be a lock. Uh, you You saw him trade away Tobias Harris, for example. So I don't know who on this roster will be back. You would like to think that young players in va- uh, with value contracts like the Shays and Landry's are locks to be returning. But at the same time, if they can be used as trade pieces or uh, who knows what, um, maybe not necessarily during the off season, but in, in future moves, I don't know who will be back on this roster, but, the Clippers have put themselves in a position to have options. And that's the best place to be. When you've got mm-hmm. the sort of free agency class that we have this year, you can realistically, it's not ideal, but you can strike out on your tier one talent and then you still have players like DeMarcus Cousins sitting around waiting for contract offers. So it's a really good position to be in. Personally, as much as I like him, I think Gallinari is going to be the most likely to be moved just because of his injury history and how he's unable to stay on the floor for a long period of time during the season. This season's more of an outlier than an indication of future. what's to come in the future, I would feel. Exactly. And at the same time, you have to be happy for Gallo because of the way he's played himself back into relevance this season. And whatever comes in his future, hopefully will be more rewarding because of what he was able to accomplish there. But yeah, I agree with you. He, he does have an injury-ridden past, and... This, this past season was an outlier, but at the end of the day, a great thing for both the Clippers and himself. Oh, yeah. We wouldn't be where we were if it wasn't for his efficiency this year. That's no mm-hmm. doubt about it. But again, the other worry I have is depending on who is bought in in free agency, the impact this is going to have on the people like Shea and the Landry, that is their playing time or development going to be hindered? See, and I, I see it as... 
exactly like this season was used as the platform to build their development and build that confidence so that whoever does come in continues to help them grow. Um, I don't know if it's going to necessarily be a quote unquote LeBron James Lakers situation because, you know, here they are, they're going to be getting playoff minutes and they've got also a stable coach and a stable franchise around them. Um, I don't know if you can necessarily say the same thing for what happened with the Lakers young core when you have multiple young players and no postseason chances. And then the question mark of is, is their coach going to be around? What's LeBron James going to do to their playing style? So I, I get that concern, but also I do think if you look at it on the flip side, they're going to be getting a lot of um, development that will hopefully be more solid in, in moving forward. A good, uh, a good team to look at for that sort of example would be the Sixers. The way they have Embiid and Simmons, but then they've slotted in Jimmy Butler and Harris. So they are able, it does prove that it is possible to kind of build a team around your stars that are in the prime, classed as veterans along with your rookies. Boston have done it as well this year. So that's two good examples that it is a possible possibility and that it can work well. Both of those teams are going to the playoffs. Uh, they're probably both in for big runs in the East as well. Yeah, and I think I think the one cautionary thing would be is is looking at a Boston and you know, I I would argue that the way they inserted Gordon Hayward in was probably a little bit too uh premature and too aggressive and that might have caused some of their chemistry issues and question marks about young talent versus uh quote unquote all-star talent with Gordon and Kyrie um because I think there was a little bit of, of weirdness around that locker room. Um, this is from the outside, no no sources on the inside, but yet all the media coverage that's emerged over there. Uh, you look at you look at how that team was able to reach the conference finals, and then you bring in the the names Gordon and Kyrie, and there's issues right off the bat. So I think that Doc. Uh, that's where you look to the guidance of Doc um, and how he's able to hopefully manage those personalities and egos coming in a little bit better than Brad Stevens did. And that's all experience. He's had the All-Stars on his squad before. So the problem with Brad from, again, just from watching a bit of East Coast because the time zone's a bit better for me, is just seeing that he's never had talent like that before. This is the best team he's ever coached. Where I feel like Duck, no matter who he brings in, he's already coached some world-level talent in people like Garnett and Ray Allen and Prime Rondo. So I feel like Rivers is a bit more well-placed to handle that sort of locker room anxiety, if you want to call it that, from the rookies. I feel like if, if we were to get Kawhi or we were to get Durant or we were to get whoever, maybe both, that he'd integrate them a lot more efficiently than what Brad did over in Boston. Exactly. And then obviously we've got our rookies. We keep coming back to these. I just want to ask if you think they're both going to make the all-rookie team this year? Oh, yeah. Okay, Landry and Shea, I do think they will make one of the two all-rookie teams. Probably, and I saw... Um, go ahead and give me your breakdown of who you think makes the first team. And then I, I would say for sure both might be, should be a lock for the second team. 
Oh, yeah, I have them both starting on the second team. So I've got Trey, Luca, Bagley, Aiton, and Sexton on the first. Yes. SGA, Bridges, Shamet, Robinson, and Jackson Jr. I agree with you. And what a, what a loaded rookie class this has been. Yeah, it's been one of the best in a long time. Long, long, mm-hmm. long time. I thought last year's was a good rookie class as well, to be honest. But this one's kind of blown it out of the water. I think Shamet was one of the better pickups as well. Oh, Shamit was such a steal. Gosh, he's been, I mean, it's not often that you see a, a rookie come in and his shooting sustain, and he's done just that. And I'm so excited he's playing with Doc now, who basically, um, you know, was able to develop the JJ Reddick packages in, in, for the Clippers. And now uh, look at Shamit not only having learned under JJ, but now being utilized in the very same way he was when JJ was in L.A. So we've, we're both agreeing that these are both pretty much locks to be in the second team? Yes, I, I'm with you on that. Good. I'm happy because that means I've actually got it right for once. Usually I end up <laughs> making a prediction about uh, rookie teams and it never works out. Hey, I, I think I think you hit the nail on the head. And then obviously we've had, um, this has been recorded on Thursday, so... No, Wednesday, sorry. Well, today's <laughs> Wednesday. So yesterday, um, Magic Johnson stepped down from the front office in LA. What are your thoughts on that? Oh, man. Um, the Lakers franchise is in a little bit of uh, disarray right now in terms of the they need, they need experience, direction. Um, first of all, for, sorry, I, I'm getting jumping the gun here. I think Magic did the right thing for himself. He wants to be an ambassador of the game, a patron of the, for the sport of basketball. And he found that his joy and his ability to do so was hampered by being a president of basketball operations because it was tampering to the left, tampering to the right. Um, he couldn't he couldn't be a, a you know he couldn't be a leader for for younger players who are currently playing. Um, without it being considered as, uh, you know, crossing the line. So I think for his personal happiness, this is a great step. I think for what the Lakers need, they need vet- a veteran GM of basketball operations or a veteran um, a veteran general manager in, ge- or, uh, in general. Sorry, I'm, I'm confusing my words here they just need someone with a lot of experience in one of those two positions and you look at Rob Blinka and Magic Johnson and both were new in their own right so Jeannie Buss is faced with a critical turning point a pivot point here she's got to bring in the correct hire a shrewd decision maker Um, the Lakers are one of the biggest franchises in the sporting universe yet they're being run like a family organization because that's what they are but they need they need to bring in someone from the outside who can point this ship in the right direction and with jerry west being a free agent does that worry you at all i don't think jerry west wants to touch that that franchise that's (laughs) spec yeah that is speculation by me but um i've i've spoken with jerry before uh about how he views his his past playing days. This, this was more when he was able to bring Kevin Durant to the, the Warriors or had the conversation with Kevin Durant. Um, and he talked about how he wished he had 
you know, the agency to make his choice when he was a player with the Lakers. So I just, I don't think he wants to go backwards. I think he wants to see more success. He's a fierce competitor, if anything. So I'm sure he's now made it a personal uh, mission of his to ride out this thing with the Clippers. Um, but then again, speculation on my part. I hope he stays. I feel like he's a very big part in the way we're progressing as a team at the moment. Uh, I think he works really, really well with uh, the other members of the front office. I don't want him going to the Lakers simply because I just don't like the Lakers. <laughs> Fair enough. Do you think it affects the chances of big free agents going to the Lakers? I think in general, the disarray surrounding that organization right now is um, signs of of steering away free agents because it's just there's no stability they don't know who their coach is going to be will it be luke walton won't it be luke walton um so unless a home run hire is made i i do think it casts a little bit of a shadow over that franchise right now i was actually speaking to a friend just before i started this podcast with you he's also based out in la and he's mm-hmm. saying that he was reading an article it must have been last night due to the time difference Magic Johnson got the okay to fire Walton, but he didn't. And Jenny Buss is actually a big fan of Walton, and she didn't want him to go. So now that Magic stepped away, it kind of puts Luke Luke back in that limbo because it's going to be between on the next GM to come in and decide whether or not they want to change direction. So it's not a very nice place for him to be. I know that I've read some reports saying all of the coaching staff at the Lakers are expecting to be fired within hours of the last game of the season. Oh yeah, it's 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 a complete mess. And what, you know, then I saw something this well over here this morning that Stephen A saying Magic made that uh splash of an exit so to speak instead of waiting till the off season because he wanted media to be around to know that all is not well within the franchise, you know? And so it's just, there's, it's a, it's a big mess. I can't see how they're going to write the ship straight away. I feel like they might even bring on like an interim GM kind of reach out to Phil Jackson. If he's available, even though he did a terrible job in New York, he did draft Paul Zingas. So you've got to give him that at least. Yeah. It's, um, I don't know, Adam, it's going to, you know, it's a mess. (laughs) It is a mess. It's really fun to watch from the outside. If I was a Laker fan, I'd be livid right now. Oh, yeah. um, I've been livid for the majority of the season. I grew up a Lakers fan, and my dad raised me as one. And my dad's the eternal optimist and everything. And I don't know if being in media has made me a little bit more critical of moves being made and question marks that arise. But uh, it's just, it's there's a lot of turmoil right now. And uh, while I'm happy Magic will be back to being Magic and being a great ambassador for the sport, uh, the, the decision is now heavy on the Lakers' shoulders to bring in someone like a Sam Presti uh, who can make long-term um, and shrewd calculations on behalf of building this franchise. So if you're so basically you grew up a Lakers fan and your dad's a Lakers fan, but now you cover the Clippers. Yes, and you know it's um 
I just love the NBA. And I've, after covering the Thunder for a couple of seasons, I love that team. Um, I want to love the Lakers, but it's, it's hard. It's hard seeing something being operated uh, in a less than, you know, con- uh, I don't, I, it's it's it just seems dirty over there in term not not necessarily in in bad uh like in a malicious way but just in in bad decisions so it's it's frustrating but the clippers even though i grew up like not liking this team um they're really fun to watch right now and they're really fun to root for so i'm with you on on the clippers bandwagon for the short term <laughs> <laughs> No, I was just going to say, it must bring an awkward dynamic on a weekend when you're back home. <laughs> yeah, yeah, my dad my dad tells me he would never, never be a Clippers fan. But, uh, you know, it's it's all good to, at the end of the day, because basketball is just so much fun. And um, seeing seeing Doc do well with young pieces is really exciting. Yeah, it is. And this has been a really fun having you on the podcast. I'd just like to say thank you again. And uh, I hope all the listeners go and check out your podcast and try and follow your... Uh, are you on TV? Are you on... You on Sp- um, yes, I'm on Channel 1 out here in Los Angeles. You can follow me on Twitter at NikkiKSN1. But Adam, thank you so much. I'll have to have you on my pod soon. And um, you know what? You can... Uh, or I hope we are able to chat more in the future. Oh, for sure. Um, probably come the end of the off-season, we'll, I might ask you to come back on and we'll review how it went with the free agency, finalise, and when we're moving towards Summer League, if that's okay. Oh, that sounds absolutely perfect. All right, well, that's great. Well, thank you so much for coming on. It's been a really good time. Okay, thank you so much, Adam. Have so much fun, and let me know when you're out here in LA. I've, uh, I've also got to get over to Europe soon, too. <laughs> <laughs>